Well, outside of baseball, my second favorite sport is, uh, is hockey. And uh, I know growing up in Texas, you would have immediately guessed that my second favorite sport would be hockey. But the Dallas Stars won the Stanley Cup in 1999, and I watched that season, and it just it sucked me in. And so since then, I've just been a, a, a follower of the sport. And I was watching the Stars game two nights ago, and, and they won in, in overtime. And after the game, one of the players came forward and said, you know, if it, it, we really won that game because of our goalie. Our goalie won that game for us. And when he says something like that, we understand that it's a hyperbolic statement, right? That, that the goalie didn't single-handedly win that game because if the other five skaters on the ice had decided, hey, you've got this, and skated off and sat on the bench to watch from the bench, that would have not been a, a pretty game, would it? That goalie would have been beaten one side up and the other side down from the opposing team just shooting at will, and then there's the problem of the fact that that goalie can't score any goals from his goal, can he? And so when we say something in a team sport like, well, the, the goalie really won the game for us, or if you think about baseball, sometimes a, a team will say, you know, our pitching won that game for us. We understand that that's a, a hyperbolic statement because in a team sport, it takes everybody to win the game. It's not tennis, it's not golf, it's not those individual sports where it's, it's up to really the one person competing at the top of their level to be able to defeat another person that's on the other side of them or in golf, a field of other individuals without teammates to support them or help them. A, a team sport is about each guy playing his part, doing his job to help the team achieve their goal. Well, as we think about Christianity, Christianity is a team sport, not an individual sport. And with baseball season, spring training is, is right around the corner. And so even right now, athletes are disciplining their bodies. They're getting themselves in shape. They're making sure that they are ready to go for the start of spring training so that what? They can help their team accomplish the goal for the year. An athlete's not going to roll into spring training, uh, opening his car door with ding-dongs and a ho-ho's falling out and, and empty Coke bottles everywhere and, and get out and say, well, I'm ready to go, coach because he's not in shape and it's going to be a detriment and it's going to be a harm to his teammates. Well, similarly, as we think about our godliness and our holiness as believers in Jesus Christ, as we focus on our own relationships and our own walks with Christ, there's a, an inevitable impact that that's going to have on our local community, on our local church here at Compass Bible Church. Just like an athlete disciplines himself to better his team, so too we need to discipline ourselves for godliness and holiness in order to make this a more effective, more unified, more godly body of Christ. Look at 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 22, and we're going to read down through verse 3 of chapter 2. Peter says, Having purified your souls by obedience to the truth for a sincere brotherly love, love one another earnestly from a pure heart. Since you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and abiding word of God, for all flesh is like grass, and all its glory like the flower of the grass. The grass withers and the flower falls, but the word of the Lord remains forever. And this word is the good news that was preached to you. So put away all malice and deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander. Like newborn infants long for the pure spiritual milk that by it you may grow up into salvation. If indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. Verse 22, having purified yourselves, purified your souls by your obedience to the truth for a sincere brotherly love, love one another earnestly from a pure heart. God is saving for himself a people, not a person. 
And so as you think about your relationship with the Lord, it has a horizontal element to it. Your relationship with the Lord is going to have an impact on the community in which you fellowship. And your relationship with your brothers in Christ in the community in which you fellowship is in turn going to have an impact on your relationship with the Lord. Peter says, having purified your soul by your, your obedience to the truth. Purified, it's, it's that idea of, of moral purity by obedience, our submission to, our, uh, our, uh, our compliance to the, the, the laws of the Lord. Obeying him, being holy for he is holy, purifying your souls by obedience to the truth, the, the word of God, the gospel, the, the standard of Christian living that we are called to as believers that we've been focusing on so much so far in First Peter chapter 1. Peter's saying if, if you are doing these things, and just to remind us of the context of what that involves, verse 13, preparing your minds for action, being sober-minded, setting your hope fully on the revelation of Jesus Christ. Verse 14, not being conformed to the former passions of your former ignorance. Verse 15, being holy, being righteous, being godly in all your conduct. Verse 16, being holy in response to your allegiance to and submission to and relationship to a a holy God. Verse 17, conducting yourselves in fear before this Lord. Peter says, having done all of these things, in other words, living a life characterized by this type of obedience to the Lord, a life of godliness, it's going to have an an impact. It's going to have a result. The first thing he says is it's going to be for, resulting in, producing a sincere brotherly love. See, your godliness is going to have an inevitable impact on it. It's going to make you a better brother in Christ to the men around the table. If you think about your godliness, if you think about your relationship with the Lord, it's going to overflow into your relationship with the men in your life that you see and interact with on a regular basis, other believers in your life. See, part of God's purpose in sanctifying you and making you more holy is producing a community of loving believers. First point this morning is this, recognize that your holiness impacts your church. Recognize that your holiness impacts your church. Again, that athlete disciplining himself, driving himself to be in shape, the the center fielder that wants to improve his speed so that he's going to be a more effective resource for his coach on the base paths, for his team on the base paths the following season. Man, as, as we discipline ourselves for godliness, we are making ourselves more effective for the Lord to use us in the community of the body of Christ. There's such uh, an individual focus on our holiness and on our godliness as though it's, it's, it's only about our vertical relationship with the Lord. And certainly foundationally, it is primarily about our relationship with the Lord, our vertical relationship with the Lord. But there is an element to our godliness and our holiness that has to do with everyone else in this church that we fellowship with. That we have a responsibility to produce a a godliness in order to better this body of believers. Think about your relationship with Christ. And one of the things that cultivating a godliness and a holiness in your relationship with Christ is going to do is it's going to produce a greater amount of what? The fruit of the Spirit, yes? Well, what is the fruit of the Spirit? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Think about how many of those are manifested more fully in community than they are individually. Love. 
it's hard for you to love the way that the Bible calls us to love when you're by yourself. If you're isolated, if you're withdrawn, if you're one of those people, and I know I'm, ta- I'm preaching to the choir in here, but if you're not, maybe you're, you're a visitor with us. If, if you're one of those people that says, well, I'm part of the church, I'm part of the, the church universal, and that's good enough for me. Well, I, there's a problem with that because you can't love one another the way that the Bible calls you to love one another. Joy. Have you ever been really excited about something and joyful about something and, and you want to tell somebody and yet there's nobody around you to tell? It robs some of the joy, doesn't it? Versus when you have a family, when you have a body of believers, when you have a, a, a group that you can go to and say, hey, can I share with you what the Lord did this week in my life? It's so exciting. How about peace? It's easy to be at peace with yourself, isn't it? You stay at home, sit on the couch, you, there's no conflict in your life. But when you come to church, that's when we can really manifest this fruit of the spirit of, of being peaceful with brothers. Patience. Again, easy to be patient with yourself. Patience is tested in relationships. Peace, patience, kindness. Coming here and, and being kind to your brothers in Christ. Faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Man, the, the fruit of the Spirit, as we grow in our godliness, and that is manifest more and more in our lives, it is naturally going to produce a love for our brothers in Christ. And that's what Peter's saying here. That as we are purifying our souls through obedience to the truth for resulting in a brotherly love for one another, he's saying this, the more Christ-like you are, the more Christ-like your community will be. And by inverse, the less Christ-like you are, the less Christ-like your community will be. But on top of this, Peter presents a a command in this verse, doesn't he? He says, yes, this is going to result in a a brotherly love for one another. And that's the word phileo, which is that reciprocal love for one another. I love you, you love me, and there's, there's, there's this natural back and forth. But then he wants us to excel still more in that, like Paul does with the Thessalonian believers. He says, I want you to not only do that, I want you to love one another earnestly. And there it's agape. I want you to have a sacrificial love for your brothers in Christ. I want you to love your brothers in Christ regardless of how they treat you. I want you to come to men's Bible study thinking to yourself, how can I bless another brother in Christ? How can I love them? How can I care for their needs more than my own? Peter says, that's what I want you to do. And and, and your godliness is going to produce that kind of love in your life. What does that look like? Well, if you were with us at our first men's breakfast, you heard us spend some time in 1 Corinthians 13, but just to remind us, 1 Corinthians 13, 4, what does this love look like? Love is patient and kind. It does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing or sinfulness, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, and endures all things. Love never ends. That's the type of love that Peter's calling us to. You know what? That love is not possible if you are not pursuing godliness and holiness. If you are not living a life of obedience to the truth, as he's talking about here, when you come here, it's not going to be an easy thing for you to try to love people the way that Peter is calling you to love people. If you are harboring sin in your life, you're not going to be sitting there thinking about loving a brother the way that Peter's calling you to love a brother. A major part of your pursuit of your relationship with the Lord is your pursuit of one another as brothers in Christ. He says there's a motivation here, there's a reason here, and he says that in verse 23, since 
Love one another earnestly with this agape love. Why, Peter? Well, because since you have been born again, you've been made regenerate, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable through the living and abiding word of God. For all flesh is like grass and its glory is like the flower of the grass. The grass withers, the flower falls, but the word of the Lord remains forever. And this word is the good news that was preached to you. In other words, men, the reason why we love each other this way, the reason why we pursue godliness like this, the reason why we care about our holiness impacting our church is because that's what the gospel naturally does in our lives. Because you've been born again of imperishable seed. Remember who Peter is writing to. Those that have been scattered and driven away through persecution, away from their family members, they are under the reign of Nero. And Peter is saying, look, your earthly family members, some of them may be gone, some of them may have turned their back on you. The relationships that you had when you were born into a family of perishable seed, you know, I don't know where those stand, Peter's saying, but he's saying this, but you have been born again into a different kind of a family by the word of God, through imperishable seed. An eternal family. Those are the people, Peter, saying that you need to lean into right now. Those are the people, Peter, saying that you need to love earnestly with this agape kind of love because that's what godliness should produce in you. There may come a day when you and I are up against persecution and the reality is you are going to need Christ-like brothers by your side supporting you, loving you, encouraging you. And they are going to need you to be a Christ-like brother by their side doing the same thing. But we can't wait for that day. If we're going to face persecution as a church in the next 5, 10, 15, 20 years, and we don't know what the future holds for us, we can't wait until the heat gets turned up. We need to begin to live this way and love this way and pursue godliness this way now so that we're ready then. See, you cannot separate your identity as a follower of Christ from your place within the local bride of Christ. God has you here at this church. And just like the athlete has to discipline himself to improve himself and to work on his skills so that he can contribute to the overall production of the team, you and I need to work hard at our godliness and our holiness and take our relationship with the Lord seriously because of our place in this church and the overall health and the good of the community of the body of believers here at Compass Bible Church as well. What does this look like? Peter turns his attention to that in verse twenty or chapter two, verse one. And he addresses these concepts, threats that may have been actually plaguing the, the, the local bodies that he was writing to, or these could have just been general things that he knew posed a threat to them. And so he says in verse one, so then, look, if you're gonna love one another, so then put away all malice, all deceit, all hypocrisy, envy, and all slander. Put away these things. It's that idea of taking off a jacket, taking off a garment, disrobing and casting it aside. It's the word that's used in Romans 13, 12. Romans 13, 12, the night is far gone, the day is at hand. So then let us cast off, there's the word. Let us cast off the works of darkness and put on the armor of light. Colossians 3.8, same word, but now you must put them all away. Put them away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, obscene talk from your mouth. What do these words mean? Malice is, is that internal mean-spiritedness, that vicious disposition, that, that wickedness, that baseness, that depravity of mind, that depravity of thinking. Paul says, put that, or Peter says, put that away, put that off. Deceit, 
right? Lying to one another. Using cunning or underhanded means, taking advantage of a brother in Christ. Peter says that has no place if we're to love one another earnestly. Hypocrisy. It's putting off a public persona that's at odds with a private reality. He says we need to be men of integrity, men who are the same person publicly that we are privately or at church that we are at work or at church that we are on the road. Envy and slander, speaking ill of another person, defaming them. I don't think it's breaking any ground here to suggest that those things don't produce a healthy community, right? So Peter's saying, look, if if you're pursuing godliness, these things should have no place in your life. If you're pursuing godliness, it's gonna produce a life that these things don't factor into, which is going to cause you to love one another well and love one another earnestly. And so he's drawing the connection there. And as men, we need to guard our lives against these attitudes and against these actions in order to make sure that they're not threatening the community here at Compass Bible Church. Yes, we need to guard our lives against these things because they are things that attack and and hurt our relationship with the Lord. And yes, that is foundational. But also by extension, we need to start thinking at at a more communal level and thinking about how these things do damage to the bride of Christ, which is just as grievous to the Lord. Our second point this morning is this. Guard the integrity of your church through your holiness. Guard the integrity of your church through your holiness. Remember the scene in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 6? It's not a good one Paul's addressing there when he says, he says, it's been reported that there's a man amongst you who has his father's wife. And he says, and, and you're prideful about this, about your tolerance of this, is basically what Paul's saying there when he says you're prideful about this. You're patting yourself on the back for being so generous and gracious that you haven't dealt with this sin. And Paul says, no, you need to do what? You need to put the man out of the church. Why? Because he says what? A little leaven does what? Leavens the whole lump, right? You let a little sin creep into your church and it can do destruction that is irreversibly damaging to the local body of Christ. And men, you need to be on the front lines guarding the perimeters of your own lives to make sure that that doesn't take place here at Compass. You need to be making sure that that you are guarding and preserving the integrity of this church. Let's drill down on some of the things that Peter talks about here. Number one, this this idea of malice, right? Malice. You may think to yourself, well, I'm, I'm not a malicious person, so let's move on to the next one. Well, hold on a second. Malice is that internal thinking that, that takes place where we are, are having thoughts that are negative about another brother in Christ. And your small group, really? We've got to do this prayer request again? Hasn't this guy moved past this by now? What is he even talking about? Is he even answering the right question anymore? Oh man, why is this guy talking again? He always goes down rabbit trails. Oh great, that guy showed up. See, we have these thoughts sometimes, don't we? And they're not thoughts that we vocalize, but at the same time, they're doing damage to the body of Christ when we have them internally because they're going to produce actions in us. They're going to hinder us from loving the way that we need to love. God calls us to love one another. He doesn't say that that's going to be easy, does he? There are difficult people to love. I understand that. Deceit. Lying to one another, right? Trying to to save face with a brother. This takes place so often in accountability, right? We talk about accountability relationships, and accountability relationships are only as good as your willingness to be 
truthful. It's easy to say I've got an accountability partner and lie to your accountability partner. Hypocrisy. Again, that outward appearance that doesn't match up with the private reality. And you think about your, wherever you work. You walk into your job and, and they know that you're a Christian. And yet maybe your words or your reaction or your anger have caused people at your job, your workplace, to look at you and say, really, you're, you're a Christian? But now let's get a little bit closer to home, probably for all of us in this room, and, and you probably drive around with a Compass Bible Church sticker on the back of your car, don't you? You're representing more than yourself. You're representing Christ, and you are also representing the local bride of Christ here at Compass Bible Church. And so as you drive, if you are driving angry, or if you are driving recklessly, or if you are driving too fast, or if you are cutting people off, or if you are telling people they are number one as you pass them with a certain finger, hopefully none of you are. But men, that is casting dispersion and shame on Christ and on this church, on the brothers that you sit around this table with. See, we need to make sure that our public persona matches up with our public profession. Our private persona, sorry, matches up with our public profession. And we laugh at the car thing, but, but honestly. And the answer is not to take a razor blade and scrape the sticker off the back of your car. The answer is to drive like a Christian. To live like a Christian. Yes, for your relationship with Christ and also for your relationship with the bride of Christ. Envy, jealousy of a brother's success, promotion, wealth, family, health, anything. Envy and jealousy fly in the face of Philippians chapter 2. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility of mind, count one another more significant than yourselves. Have this mindset which is yours in Christ Jesus, who although he existed in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself. When we are jealous of another brother's success, we are not modeling Christ in the community. We are not loving one another well. And then there's slander tearing another brother down, insulting another brother, wounding another brother with our words. Again, hopefully this is something that not, that's not regularly taking place, but I want to challenge us to even watch our sarcasm with one another. As men, sarcasm is something that's so often a default. And I get it. I, I enjoy my own sarcasm as well. But we need to be careful not to go too far with that. See, there's so many elements that go into the health of the unity of the church, but Peter is, is calling you to rid your life of these sins because they are so destructive to your church family. He's saying love one another earnestly. You can't do these things and love one another earnestly. I would say more than anyone else in the church, this has to start with us, man. We need to be, again, on the front lines. We need to be an army of godly men committed to living holy lives for the good of the church, guarding the perimeters of our own lives to make sure that we are not giving sin a foothold on our lives or a foothold on this church to creep in and cause any sort of destruction to the body of Christ here. But what's going to sustain this holiness? What's going to continue to motivate you to, to guard you against these sins? What's going to fuel your earnest love for one another? These things can only be sustained as Peter's going to tell us through one thing. And, and he picks up in verses two through three and he tells us this. He says, like newborn infants long for, 
crave the pure spiritual milk that by it you may grow up into salvation if indeed you've tasted that the Lord is good. He says like newborn infants. Now he's not referring to the spiritual maturity of the believers that he's writing to. He's creating an image, a metaphor for us. And when he says pure spiritual milk, he's not using it the same way that the writer of Hebrews does. When the writer of Hebrews said, you know what, I wanted to feed you meat, but I had to feed you, continue to feed you milk because you were you were not far advanced enough in your faith. Peter's not indicting them on a lack of spiritual maturity. He's saying, look, if you want to live the life that I'm calling you to live, if you want to be godly, if you want to be holy, then you need to crave the pure spiritual milk like a baby does. Any of you who have had children know what it's like for a a newborn infant to, to want milk. Nothing else is going to satisfy that. And whether you are a, a, a grandfather three times over and your kids have not been infants for 35, 40 years, anytime you hear an infant screaming, you kind of recoil a little bit, don't you? All of a sudden you get tired really fast because you remember the middle of the night and you remember the time that the baby woke up and you went and got the baby and you gave the baby to your wife and then you went back to sleep, yes? By the way, that doesn't work with twins because there's two of them. And you can't just say, hey, here's both of them. See you later, right? But that, that, that child wakes up or that child just gets hungry. It doesn't matter what time of day it is. That baby has no concern about your schedule, your agenda, who you're meeting with. The baby doesn't care whether, what you're doing at the moment. All the baby can think of is one thing. And what's that? Food. Milk. And there's nothing else that you can do to get that baby to calm down except for feed it, give it what it wants. Peter's saying, man, that that needs to be us with the pure spiritual milk. And if you're used to older translations, it adds something there. The pure spiritual milk, what? Of the word. Of the word. Well, it's not there in the original, but I think it's safe to say that what he's talking about here is a desire for, a craving for the word of God. Why? Because if we look in the immediate context, he's been talking about the word of God. Verse 23, since you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable through the living and abiding, what? Word of God. The word of God, which remains forever. Peter's saying that's what we need to be craving for. That's what we need to be to longing for. As a, a newborn infant longs for milk. And, and beyond that also, think about Deuteronomy chapter 8. I know you do so often, so this should be easy for us to think about, but you know this passage, and I'm about to quote, when Jesus says, man shall not live, Jesus quoted it, but he says, man shall not live by what? Bread alone, but by every word that flows from the mouth of God. You see how the the concept of the word of God is equated with nourishment, Deuteronomy 8, and then Jesus quotes it as well, and here we see Peter doing the same thing, long for the pure spiritual milk. This isn't some mystical thing that he's talking about here. No, this is long for the word of God. Invest yourself in the word of God. If you want to live this kind of life that he's calling you to live, if you want to be on guard against these sins in your life, if you want to love one another earnestly, the lifeline that you need to have to support that and sustain that is an intense relationship with God's word. Point number three this morning is this. Fuel your holiness through your devotion to the word. Fuel your holiness through your devotion to the word. We took my kids to Disneyland the other day 
And my son, Luke, who's four, was excited because he thought, you know, this is the trip that he's going to finally be able to ride the Radiator Springs racers. If you've never been to Disneyland, it's the Lightning McQueen ride. And he was just thinking to himself, he's finally tall enough. This is the day. So we go there. It's our first stop to get fast passes because Disneyland is the fastest growing city in the world right now. So we take him over there and we take him up to the ride and they've got that stand that has that arm that sticks out there. And Luke goes and he stands under it and his hair had some extra volume that day and the top of his hair hits the bar and we're thinking, great, this is going to work. But the attendant had seen this trick before, right? So the attendant took her hand and put it on top of his head and slipped it between his head and the top of the bar. And he's about a half an inch too short to ride the ride. So after consoling him, he walks away. I told him, I said, Luke, you know what? Don't worry about it. You're going to be able to ride the ride before the year is up. I promise you that. And he goes, he said, why? How do you know? And I said, because you know how you're going to be able to, to grow that extra half inch is by what? Eating. Eat your breakfast, eat your lunch, eat your dinner. Disneyland is a great place for parents who need to motivate their kids to eat their meals. You want to ride that ride? Eat your food, right? But there's truth to that. Because for the body to grow, the body needs nourishment, yes? Well, men, for you to grow as a believer, for you to grow as a, a, a child of God, for you to grow in godliness and holiness, you need the nourishment of the word of God to do that. And so if you think to yourself, well, I want to grow in holiness, increase your intake of the word. I want to grow in my love for other people. Increase your intake of the word. I want to grow in how I care for the church. Increase your intake of the word. If you want to see broken relationships in your life restored, increase your intake of the word of God. If you want to become more of an encourager to your brothers, increase your intake of God's word. If you want to see growth in your prayer life, increase your intake of the word of God. If you want to see less sin in your life, increase your intake of the word. If you want to be a better husband or a better father, increase your intake of the word. Men, your growth as a believer, your progress as a believer in Christ will grow in direct proportion to your devotion to the word of God. Maturing as a believer is not like maturing in age. That you can't stop. But you can stunt your growth as a Christian if you are not devoted to the word of God. And I use that word devoted intentionally here because what I'm not talking about is I'm not talking about saying, well, I'm doing the DBR and I'm checking the box every day, so therefore I should be growing, right? This is not like the, the, the time in the word of God is the quarters you stick into the vending machine and spiritual maturity is what you get out. That's not what we're talking about here. We're talking about an, an intake that's intentional. An intake that is chewing the cut of God's word. That is internalizing his word. That is memorizing his word. That is taking it and thinking on it throughout the day. That is using it to encourage brothers in Christ. That he's using the word of God just like Jesus did in the wilderness to battle temptation and to respond to the, the lures of the word of the world. Devotion to the word, submission to the word, obedience to the word. Yes, it's quantity, but it's also quality. It's both together. 
that the Spirit will take and apply to your life and transform your life to produce in you a greater godliness, which is going to in turn produce a greater love for your brothers, which is in turn going to produce a healthier body of Christ here at Compass Bible Church. But notice that little add-on in verse 3. Peter says, if indeed you've tasted that the Lord is good. What is it that fuels your desire for the word? Is it because you want to be more holy? Right now, where you sit this morning, in men's Bible study, with your brothers in Christ around you? Good, I hope you do, but... If that's your hope to sustain your desire for the word, then eventually sin is going to rear its ugly head. Temptation is going to crop up. And then is your desire for holiness right now going to be the same as it is when temptation in the battle rages later on this afternoon? When you're on the road and that guy cuts you off, are you going to desire holiness to the same extent that you desire holiness right now? Or maybe it's you love your church. And your church loves the word of God. So that's driving your devotion to the word of God. And that's good and that's fine. But I want to ask you a question. What happens when something goes south for you at the church? What happens when you have something that you disagree with from leadership at the church? What happens when your toes get stepped on by the church? And all of a sudden you think to yourself, well, I don't know if I like that person as much anymore. Is your devotion to the word going to be the same at that point? You see, we've got to have something else that's going to sustain our drive and our devotion to the word of God. And it's what Peter says here in verse three. It's the fact that we as men of God, as children of God, have tasted and seen that the Lord is good. See, that's what causes us or what should drive us, should cause us to long for the pure spiritual milk of the word because we know a God who is good and we have tasted of that goodness Because we can look at our lives, even as we walk through the valley of the shadow of death, and see his goodness in our life. And that goodness drives us to say, I want to know more of that God, which is going to in turn propel us and compel us to spend more time in his word. We wake up and we spend time in the word because we love God, because he is good to us. And we've seen that and we have come to know that. And so we desire him. We desire fellowship with him. We desire communion with him. That's going to be the sustaining drive that's going to keep us in the word of God. It's our commitment to him that's going to drive this, that's going to transform this, that's going to change this, that's going to cause us to do what Peter began what we looked at at the beginning of our time this morning, it's going to cause us to purify our souls by obedience to the truth. What's going to drive that? Our love for God. Because we've tasted and seen that the Lord is good. See, this is the formula. A commitment to the Lord will produce a devotion to his word that fuels our pursuit of holiness, that produces a community of believers that love each other well. Man, if we want a healthy body of Christ here at Compass Bible Church, it doesn't start from the pulpit. It starts from you and me privately in our personal relationships with the Lord. As we cultivate our own walk with Christ, we will be strengthening, booing, building up the body of Christ here at Compass Bible Church. Man, to be effective, we need you to be effective in your walk with Christ. 
If we want to be vibrant, if we want to be impactful, if we want to be the lampstand that we so often talk about here in Southern Orange County, if we want to reach the lost, you have to be a man of godliness and devotion to the Lord. It doesn't matter who we hire, what pastors we bring on board. If we are not a church of integrity and godliness as individuals, we will not be an effective body of Christ here. Your commitment to the Lord, your devotion to the Lord fuels a devotion to the word that's going to produce a obedience in you, a godliness in you that's going to result in a love for one another that's going to strengthen the body of Christ. Again, Jesus died for a people, not a person. Yes, did he die for you? Yes, he died for you, but he died for you so that you would be a part of his bride. He didn't die for you so that you could be a lone ranger in this thing called Christianity. He died for you, as Paul says, then to baptize you into the one body. A body of believers. Christianity is a team sport, not an individual sport. And each of us has a role to play. Man, we can't show up for spring training out of shape. We need to show up on our game. We need to discipline ourselves for godliness and holiness. We need to be like that athlete who trains hard every day for the good of his team. You and I need to train hard in godliness and discipline ourselves every day for the good of this body of believers. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for saving us. We thank you for saving us and placing us into a body of believers. Lord, what a a glorious reality that is, that this Christianity is not something that we do solo. Lord, I thank you that you didn't save us and then just join us simply to our, our spouses to try to figure out this thing for the rest of our lives, just the two of us. Lord, I thank you that there's a group, a community that we can walk through this life together with, that we can pray for, that we can serve with, that we can serve alongside of. God, I pray that we would just develop a greater love for that and appreciation for that, that we would have a greater desire to see a strong and healthy community of believers here at Compass Bible Church that would prompt us to say, well, how am I doing with guarding the perimeters of my own life? How am I doing in in purifying my soul through obedience to the truth? How am I doing in, in loving the Lord? God, I pray that you would produce in in every one of us a conviction of what Peter says there in verse three, that we have tasted and seen that you are good. You are good, Father. I pray that that reality would drive us to a devotion to you that causes us to want to know more of you, that drives us to the word, which reveals who you are, and in turn through the spirit sanctifies us and makes us more holy, which in turn produces a love for one another that strengthens the church here at Compass Bible Church. Lord, we want to be an effective lampstand. We want to burn brightly. We want to see lost saved. We want to turn this city upside down with the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And that starts with each and every one of us daily disciplining ourselves towards godliness. I pray that we would see that, that we would own that, Lord, that we would feel that weight and that we would each do our part to strengthen this body to be as effective as we possibly can. In Christ's name we pray these things, amen.